Hi, welcome to PH Expanded. This is Mike McDonald, and uh, that was a quite delightful victory yesterday, uh, and uh, quite uh, different from most everything else we've seen this season. So I was delighted and could actually relax the last 20 minutes, and maybe we've had another game like that this season, but I don't know that I remember. It, it was probably a Carabao Cup game or something. But uh, anyway, that was uh, hopefully a sign of things to come. But if you've read my blog, then you'll probably think that I don't believe necessarily that we're just going to keep repeating that. Um, I expect us to hop around all of the different uh, alternate ways that we decide to play games of football all season. And then hopefully at some point we'll find some level of consistency, even though I know that sport and certainly football and Premier League football is going to move around and you are going to have uh, peaks and troughs. But um, we just seem to be a little different every week, um, different adjectives, different different bingo cards, right? Anyway, um, the sliding doors moment, well, it's probably the first goal because it settled us down because we weren't settled the first 20 minutes. But I'm not going to necessarily pick on that. I'm going to look further forward and pick a moment that uh, will hopefully transform the trust that Arteta put in the players and the players felt from Arteta in the fact that the accelerator was pressed in the second half. They say 2-0 is the most difficult lead and, of course, I suppose they say that because uh, you could sit back and defend because you're not... You haven't really won the game, but uh, it's tough. You kind of need to keep going because your confidence is up and coaches will go both ways. So I think that them coming out in the second half with such a positive attitude just to keep going and uh, whatever was said at half time was clearly the right words as it was obvious that the players only had one thought in their mind, which was just to keep keep going, keep pushing and uh, maintain the superiority because the first half, we truly weren't superior to Southampton. For me, the scoreline was 2-0, was wasn't it? So we were on the scoreboard, but apart from that, I thought that was very much a 50-50 game and Southampton, uh, I think, would have felt that a draw um, at the first half interval was probably a far fairer result than 2-0 and I think that would have been fair. But anyway, I digress. Um the second half was one of the best halves of the season. And I think that was probably the sliding doors moment and hopefully, hopefully, hopefully for the entire season that when we go up, we accelerate. And if we go behind, then I don't see quite as much of a problem when we've gone behind with Arsenal because it's clear as to what we have to do. We have no choice at that point. But there is a... a a pause and a debate in our heads when we do go up and we're just not sure whether we want to go forwards or backwards. And um, I'm just hoping, I'm just hoping that that is a, a change in Arsenal. Um, moving on to a positive. Well, when the lineup came out, of course, Twitter went nuts. And of course, it sounded so good reading and so correct, reading tweets from smart people saying, why have we not changed anything when we just had our worst performance of the season? 
And of course, there's logic to that, no doubt. And uh, that would be the normal thing to do. Now, having been through this thought process myself uh, as a coach, I, th- I thought I saw what he was doing. And I can't prove this, of course. But imagine you are in that situation and you've had a very tepid, meek performance and a terrible result. You have the option as a coach to show up on Monday morning, so to speak, and tell the players that they are the same ones that are going to go back out and you better prove that you are worthy of the jersey. Because there's a lot of players on the bench that deserve to be picked next week in front of you based on what you just did. So you better show. And the players can't argue. They can't argue. And they know that there's a squad of players itching behind them and players more worthy to play based on that performance against Everton. So they've almost been given no choice. And that kind of psychology will often work, especially with guys. So I liked that. And I make the assumption that that was what was said. So I think that's a big positive and I'm not so sure it worked the first 20 minutes. But I wonder if at halftime they were reminded that even though the score was 2-0, that their performance matters and their mentality matters. And that they need to go on and push on so we don't have silly results against teams like Everton, for example, and Southampton. Anyway, I wanted to pick up on another one as well. Watching the game back, I watched a little of it back and um, I fast-forwarded to... It was around, right around the 60th minute and started to watch because I remembered that there was a period of sustained pressure around that time. I found it. It was in the 65th minute and it wasn't just once, but that was the best example. If you want to go back and watch the 65th minute... The ball was in and around their box, in their box, out of their box, and we won it. Back in their box, around their box, cleared out. We win it again and again. I think there were four times the ball was cleared and there were 50-50 challenges and we won them and sustained the pressure. Well, that's new. That's, uh, of course, happened every once in a while this season. But I watched that and I thought, there's something different about that. That's not a, it's not the Arsenal. That's not really something I can even put on that bingo card thing that I wrote about because it just showed up. So we don't recognise that. But that's a big part of our improvement. You have to be able to sustain that pressure. And if you think about when Arsenal are conceding chances, if I told you the other team had scored and you hadn't seen it, maybe your mind would wander and think, well, we probably had the ball. (laughs) We made a mistake and gave it to them. That might be one thing you think of because that happens. And then you might also think that we were actually on the attack. Maybe this is more uh, Arsenal in the past, but it has happened on Arteta also. Uh, We have the ball, it gets cleared, and they counter-attack because we don't win that, that ball coming out of the box. And so we can't sustain the pressure. Therefore, they get it and they break. That's That's certainly how I see it anyway. Okay, Uh, the need that I wanted to pick up on um, was the, well, I don't know if this is foolish, probably is, 
after writing what I wrote today, uh, there's, there's a, a belief somewhere inside of me that, that the bingo card is going to get chucked away and we won't have to worry about that anymore. And the normal roller coaster of football will ensue and we won't have to have our own uh, deal going on. Um, but clearly, if there is a way for the magic wand to be waved over these players and for us to have an entire 95 minutes of sustained uh, pressure mentally on the other team where they know that Arsenal are in control of this game. And as I wrote at the, be at the end of that beginning paragraph uh, today, that's the hope. We have to start fast, then get into a mode if we are ahead where we can control the game, then accelerate again after half-time, score again, and then we will find that consistency. Won't work every time, but um, today's game was quite beautiful in the second half. But boy, it was beyond average in the first half. And so that fourth place is likely going to go to the team that can have a longer sustained period of pressure and control. Doesn't have to be ball possession, but that you control the game and you don't have to fear. So, fingers crossed on that one. The, uh, the hope that I wanted to pick out was <laughs> uh, Pepe came on. We all saw that. I wonder why. I wonder why. I've not been on social media since and maybe it was talked about, so maybe you know why he came on. And I'm sure that Arteta would just give a stock answer if he was asked. But um, that was really interesting. So I'm going to take a, a prod at what I think it might be. Um, I think it might be trying to keep his value alive because if we are trying to get rid of him in January, then it becomes harder to get much value if um, agents say to each other, well, he hasn't played for a month, they don't want him. They're actively trying to get rid of him. He's of no value to them. So whether we like it or not, you have to sort of demonstrate to the world that you value him. And I know we only valued him for about eight minutes, but you might find that he will play more. And it could be for that reason. Of course, it could be that we're trying to reintegrate him and we truly want him to stay and be a part and going to give him another chance. And let's be honest, when he was dropped, it wasn't that bad. It really wasn't. The trouble was, it was sort of normal. It was normal, Pepe. Because uh, I'm sure I wasn't the only one who thought that this third season version might find some consistency in attack players and be a bit more direct and get into the box and use his optimal talent, which is, which is his finishing more often and get more goals and be more of a threat regularly. And so that hasn't happened. So I think uh, the challenges that he's been given individually by the coaching staff, I don't think have been met. And so with players like Saka and Smith Rowe and Martinelli, he's under an awful lot of pressure to uh, to get um, any playing time, really. And with all three of those guys now playing at a, a level higher than him, then I can see what's uh, potentially happening here. Um, of course, it could have been just a tactical sub that we wanted to uh, put somebody on the left that was going to run at them and cause them situations uh, of discomfort in a one-on-one. -on -one which he's capable of. Um, could have been all kinds of tactical reasons and it could be way overthinking this thing, no doubt. But that was really interesting because 
it sure looked like uh, that not only from Arteta playing Eddie in the last two games, but in his um, response to the question about uh, what he was doing with Eddie, he was talking about valuing him and wanting him to re-sign and play for the Arsenal in the future. So I believed all the people that were saying that Eddie was going to start yesterday. That's what I thought was going to happen, that Lacazette was going to sit on the bench and that Eddie was going to get from a few minutes to a few more minutes and he was going to get to start. And I was sort of getting myself somewhat excited about that. Uh, and I understand if he wants to keep him. There's certainly potential there. But um, for whatever reason, uh, he wasn't given yesterday. So we'll see what happens with that moving on to January. But that's a, uh, that's a really interesting situation. So last thought. Uh, there's been some transfer rumours this week, uh, particularly in regards to the midfield. Just wanted to address those. A couple that uh, I particularly like. The one I like uh, more than any other is the Genie Van Alden thought. Because, you know, I do wonder if Xhaka, uh, not Xhaka, if Arteta has the same feelings about Xhaka that I do, which is I appreciate what he does do for the team. But the reason that he plays, arguably plays too much, is because of his seniority and the, the need for us to have leadership and experience on the field as we are the youngest uh, team in the Premier League. Well... If you sign somebody like Van Alden, then not only have you got a, a wonderful, elite, underrated, uh, experienced uh, footballer, uh, you've got somebody who can offer uh, what Xhaka uh, brings in that uh, experience. Maybe not so much the leadership, I don't know that and exactly what he's like in that realm, but, um, but you do get that and I think it would make Arteta feel more comfortable about not playing Xhaka. So I sort of think that that's maybe where this is going and of course, he's going to be itching, itching, itching to play, perform. Uh, he will get in the Dutch squad, there's no doubt about that, for the World Cup. But um, but he will know that it's more important to him that he gets on the starting eleven. So he needs to play. And at PSG, he's been very much second choice. Um, for those of you who don't uh, follow his career, uh, Gini van Alden can do everything. He's um, He's not necessarily... Elite at any one thing, I would say, apart from energy levels and winning of second balls. I don't know anybody in Europe that can win as many second balls as him. He just has this innate knack of knowing where the ball's going to land and can gobble it up for you. So if you want sustained pressure, if that's your goal moving forward, he right there, that guy, is one of the guys you want. And he's got so many qualities that are sort of 7, 8 out of 10. You know, goal scoring is one of them. He's not uh, one of the top scorers in the league, but for midfielders... A year after year, he offers that threat and he's going to get you right around 10 goals. And boy, Arsenal need a midfielder that can offer that. Um, he's got the winning mentality. He's won a lot recently, um, played with big players. Um, and his general game is uh, is better than I think people realise. He was given a little more freedom by the Dutch coach than he has been at Liverpool. That was a, an interview that I, I read and it was really interesting. I think that's one of the reasons he didn't re-sign his contract at Liverpool. He wanted to go somewhere else because he wanted a coach to trust him more and not just get him to be the water carrier so much, which is often what he became at Liverpool. You know, those midfield three win the ball back and just give it to the forwards. And he's got more to offer. And I watched him for the Dutch last month and he was doing things I've never seen him do before. Uh, don't even remember him doing them at Newcastle. Uh, chipping the ball, reverse passing cute little flicks and tricks, more like we see in Erdegaard. 
and that's not a player that I thought he was. So that's really interesting as well. I think he might be better than even we think he is, and I really hope that one happens. Certainly a huge upgrade on El Nenny, uh, who may well make way. The other one, uh, last thought, is Renato Sanchez, and that one I think will um, is a good deal or a bad deal based on whether he could stay fit because he has a point to prove uh, depending on his mentality. He could be afraid of coming back to play in the Premier League because he was pretty darn awful for for Swansea. But he has a point to prove if he's got a tough mentality that that he wants to show the, the British public that he's really good because a lot of fans will think, no way, because they saw him play for Swansea and he was poor. Um, when he went to Bayern Munich, he was very, very good and he has been the same at Lille. And he offers something that we really don't have in midfield, much like Vinaldum. Uh, he is an accelerator of play. Uh, part of me hates the fact that Maitland-Niles has never been trusted and encouraged to get the ball and run through midfield. But Renato Sanchez is one of the best in the whole of Europe. In fact, when you watch him play central midfield, you wonder why he's not a winger. He's got that uh, stature and he's got that quick acceleration. And uh, and he can be deadly um, getting past his man in midfield and opening the play up for, for others. Uh, he's a goal-scoring threat. He's he's super quick, a whippet of a player, and um, potentially an elite footballer. Potentially one of the best midfielders in Europe. I'll be bold and say that. However, the thought that it may be no not so smart is based on the fact that he uh, has had quite a few injuries of late. And so, if we're investing actual money in him, then we just got to be careful with that. Okay, that's enough from me. That's about 18 minutes, and that's good. And that was a very enjoyable second half. God bless.